Well, happy birthday, Barrel Life Church. Come on now, who's excited to be in the house of the Lord? Make a little bit of noise, yes. Man, I can't believe it's been 13 years here at the Moorhead campus, two years there at the Grayson campus. We love you guys at Grayson and the church there. I'm telling you, God is using you all big time to impact the region uh, all over uh, the east part of uh, Kentucky. And we're so thankful for Pastor Ann leading the charge there. You know, 13 years ago today, I, I rolled up out of bed. I was, it was really early in the morning. We was renting an apartment downtown, and, and I rolled out, and I walked out. It was about 5 o'clock in the morning. It was still dark, and starting to get a little bit of daylight. You could see the sun come just a little bit, and I sit on the back of that. It was super, super cold. I mean, it was super freezing cold, and if you know me, I don't like cold, but it was super, super cold, and I sit on the back of that porch, and I pr- prayed and cried out to God. I said, God, give us this city. Give us a city to, to impact. Give us a city to make a difference. No one, we didn't have our first service yet. No one, we didn't know who was going to show up. We had no idea what to expect. We just believe there's a handful of us believe that God wanted not start a church in this region. God wanted to start a movement in this region to change people's lives and to see the lives that have been changed. Our very first Sunday, we had 138 people, actually, excuse me, 139 people show up. And I went over to Pastor Adam, who, who was there. And I don't know if you know Pastor Adam. He's our executive pastor here at Bell Life Church. But when I told him we were coming to start the church here in Moorhead, uh, he, he called me back three days later and he said, hey, man, I'm coming with you. I said, no, you don't understand. I said, I'm going to go start a church. He says, I'm coming with you. I said, what do you mean you're coming with you? He said, we're going to quit our jobs and sell our homes and we're going to move to Moorhead and we're going to start this, be part of this movement that God wants to do. It's one thing for me to do that. It's another thing for someone else to believe that God is going to do something great in our life and in this city to see it happen. And the very next Sunday, we had 137 people came back. And, I, and typically, when you start a church, the first Sunday, a lot of people show up. But the second Sunday, only half the people came back. We had two people didn't show back up. And I went over to Pastor Adam. I looked at him and said, it's going to work. It's going to work. Man, I was like, I didn't know, man. Let's just see what happens. I didn't know you could start a church. But let's just see what God does. And to see what God has done over the last 13 years is unbelievable. No man can get the credit for it. No one can get the credit for it. Only God can get the credit for what he has done in the last 13 years, folks. And we should give him praise. Come on now for what God has done. But I'm also excited about what God is doing and about what God is about to do. Next Sunday, we're going back to two services here at the Morehead campus, but I also want you to understand, I'm going to talk about promises, and next week's promises is that God, that God promised that he can remove that guilt, that shame that you care with you, especially that keeps people from coming to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. So there's people in your life, there's an aunt, there's an uncle, there's a, a parent, there's a child, there's a roommate, a classmate, a coach, a teammate that needs Jesus. And I'm going to ask you, if you can, and if they feel comfortable coming. But I'm going to ask you to bring people next week. If not, get them to a place where they can watch it online because we still are ministering to thousands of people every single Sunday online. Get them to a place where they can either get in a watch party with you, invite them to your house over, or bring them. We're going to have two services. We'll have an overflow if you want to sit outside over the overflow to feel more comfortable. But listen, this is the opportunity. Get them to a place. And I share the gospel every Sunday, man. If you show up here, you know that. But get them here so they can hear the life-changing message, how God wants to remove that guilt, wants to remove that shame in their life so they can follow Jesus and experience an abundant life, a better life than they ever dreamed of. So that's just a little commercial break for next 
Sunday. Man, you look good today, so grab your Bibles. Go with me to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. You can grab your phone if you need to, and you grab the Bible app. I'll be using the New Living Translation this morning. But Mark chapter 11. I'm really excited about today. I'm really excited. One being it's our birthday, but really excited about this message because I really believe it's going to speak to life. This is a promise that God has given us, and most of us, I'm going to say including me, most of us don't know or didn't know how to access this promise in our life. Now, in Mark chapter 11, what we discover here, if you're, if you're familiar with this passage, that this is basically the, the uh, Palm Sunday passage. This is leading up to the Resurrection Sunday, the crucifixion of Jesus on Good Friday. Do you know that we're only nine Sundays away from Easter? So, so like, what? Yeah, April is in nine Sundays, y'all. Like, this is crazy. We're nine Sundays away from Resurrection Sunday, and uh, we like to say in the church, it's Super Bowl Sunday, but around here at Better Life Church, it's Super Bowl Sunday every Sunday, right? Because Jesus is alive, and because he's alive, you can live, and you can face tomorrow. So you better sing me down now. I'm going to get a little excited here. I had two cups of coffee already. So listen, in Mark chapter 11, we see this beautiful, triumphant entry of Jesus, Jesus is, he's, he's just coming into town, and so he sends two of his disciples to go and, and said, listen, there's going to be a, a, a coal, a, a, a donkey that's never been ridden before. I want you to find it, tell the owner, we're going to borrow it, bring it back here. I'm going to sit on this donkey, and you're going to lead it, we're going to ride into and have a triumphant entry. Now, I wish I had time to go into why did he pick a donkey? Why did he pick a coal? No, why did he pick like a black or a white Tennessee Walker Stallion, you know what I'm saying? Like coming or a high-stepping, right? He's the king. Why did he come? He, but he comes in lowly on a donkey. There's a whole, there's a, the, you know, things about it. I don't have time to jump into it. But when he came into the city, you remember this is where they had the palms, branches, and they laid down and they yelled out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And they, they said, Hosanna, look, praise be the Lord, the king. Here comes the king. And everybody was excited except for all the Pharisees. They're like, what in the world's going on? This shouldn't be happening. And they said, we should take him out. We should kill him. But, you know, he's such a powerful teacher. It would revolt everybody. So they kind of just kind of had to bite their tongue. And as they came by, they would say, Hosanna, Hosanna. Highest, praise the Lord, here comes the king. So they go back to Bethany and they're standing night. So they get up the next morning, they're heading back into the city, and Jesus is hungry. I like that about Jesus. I'm so glad the Bible says that. You no, know, God, Jesus is 100% God and he's 100% man, and now Jesus is hungry. And so he sees a fig uh, a tree off in the distance with some leaves, and he goes up to it and he sees that it has leaves, but it has no figs. I'm going to be preaching that message soon. We're playing on a college night coming up sometime soon. And for your college students out here, yeah, that's just a little, little wet your appetite. All right, just throwing that out there too. And I'm, I'm going to share this message. I don't want to get into this message, right? But, but Jesus goes to it and he finds this tree that has leaves, but it has no fruit. So kind of under his breath, he curses the fig tree. and says, you shall not bear, uh, bear any more fruit forever. And, all, and, and, and he curses it. Well, the disciples overhear Jesus mutter this and curse the fig tree. So they go into the city, and if you remember what happens, they go into the city the next day. They go into the city, and Jesus, man, he just goes like berserk. He goes into the temple, and he starts flipping over money changer tables, and cracks a whip, and turns, and, and drives everybody out of the temple. And everybody's like, what happened to Jesus, man? I thought he was going to heal people. And all of a sudden, like, he just thrown his temper tamper. Like, what got into Jesus? Well, Jesus has such much chutzpah, as the Hebrews would say, so much passion for his father that they turned the church or the temple into a money market marketplace instead of a house of prayer. 
And this is where Jesus says that my temple, my house, will be a house of prayer for all nations. So he drove out all, all the people in there. And there's a whole reason what was taking place. They would come and they would have a sacrifice. And if you drove, came a long distance, drove. You ain't driving back then. You're walking for days. And if you came in and you didn't have nothing to sacrifice, they would sell you a pigeon, a dove, or something to sacrifice so that you can give your sacrifice for time. But they were charging. They were overcharging the people, trying to make money on people who were coming to sacrifice to the Lord. So Jesus said, uh-uh, not in my house. Turns the table over, cracks the whip, drives everybody out. And it was like, I don't know, but I like this kind of Jesus. Or something. I don't like this Jesus, though. No. He, he's, he's angry right here, or hangry. And so, so, so all of a sudden, Jesus drives them out, and then they go back. Well, the next day they come, as they're coming back through, they looked, and the disciples noticed that the tree that Jesus muttered under his breath, you will bear no fruit, is dead. And not only died from the leaves down, it died, the Bible says, from the roots up. Like instantly, the tree is dead. So Peter and the disciples like, I got to get on on this. How'd you do this? How in the world can you just speak a word and a tree dies? Let's pick up with the story. Mark chapter 11. Here's what happens. Look here at verse 20. The next morning, as they passed by the fig tree that he had cursed, the disciples noted that it withered, not, watch this, from the roots up. It didn't die like hey, one leaf fell off and then a branch fell off and it tried to, you know, secure all the nutrients in the roots. It just died from the roots up because Jesus spoke it. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day. And what did he say? He cursed it. You'll bear no more fruit. And then, and then he said, Rabbi, Master teacher, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. Now, the implication is they're like, how'd you do it? How's that even possible? And then Jesus says this. This is a famous passage. You, we just sung about the song. You may not know where it was in the Bible, but here it is. It says, Jesus said to his disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything and if you believe it, that you have received it, it will be yours. The promise here is that God promises that you can move mountains in your life. And if you're like me, the moment you read this, you go, is this hyperbole? Is this like just fake? Is this really that you can move mountains? Because is this for real? Like someone can really move mountains in their life? Like you could say to the mountain outside, uproot, and it would go and move into Cavern Lake, you know what I'm saying? Or Grayson Lake, like you can move a mountain. Because listen to me, folks, I've been in the eastern Kentucky for the last 40 years of my life. I moved from the flatlands of North Carolina to the hills of Pike County and Pikeville over there in Belfry, Kentucky when I was four years old. I never had been motion sickness so much in my life. I was thrown up left and right when I was a little kid moving here. I lived in the mountains and back and forth, and they said that someday they're going to move a mountain from Belfry to Pikeville, and it's going to be a four-lane highway, and you're going to get there what takes you an hour to go over Cobra Mountain and Bent Mountain, all my Pike Countyans, you know what I'm talking about over there, right? It takes an hour to get there. It's going to take 15 minutes to get there, and I was six years old, and I heard that. 
Finally, after 40 years, praise Jesus, they moved the mountains. You know what I'm saying? We have a four lane to Belfry now. Like we can get the Bible in 15 minutes. Well, the way I drive in 15 minutes. And so like, this is amazing, right? I've seen them move a mountain. Like they moved it. They and moved a mountain for that to happen. Is that what you're talking about? That takes 40 years and four decades to move a mountain? Like what is the mountain that he's talking about? Well, in the Bible, the mountaintops, when you think of mountains, there's, there's some things in the Bible you need. One, it does mean a physical mountain. There is a physical mountain. That's what one of the word mountains. Mountains also represent kingdoms. There's a kingdom. There's a mountain of a kingdom. And there's a, there's a kingdom that, that's like a mountain over here. But there's also, mountains are described, there are things that are in your way that seems immovable, that seems impossible. And this is the mountain Jesus is referring to. Zechariah, we see this in Zechariah 4.7. He actually says this, nothing, not even a mighty mountain will stand in Zerubbabel's way. In fact, it will be flat as the plains. He says, there will be nothing to stand in your way. What God has planned for you, he will move it. It will, what you think is immovable, God can move it. God can move it out of your way. So here's my question before we get into how we do this. What mountain that you think is immovable right now is standing in your way. You think there's no way. There's no way God's gonna fix this mountain in my marriage. It's immovable. There's no way God's gonna heal me or a family member of a sickness. It's immovable. There's no way that I'll ever find the job or the job that I need to provide for my family. It's immovable. Singles, there's no way I will find the right one. I've looked, I've checked, I can't find it. It's just in move. There's no way I will break this addiction. This substance, this porn, whatever it may be, has such a stronghold on me. And there's no way that this immovable rock will ever, ever be out of my way. What in your life right now do you think is just immovable? Beyond repair, never to be fixed, this is it. I'm just going to have to find another way or a detour because this in front of me, the path that's in front of me, one, it's too heavy to carry, the burden to bear, and it's impossible and it's immovable in my life. If you don't have one of those mountains right now in your life, just give it time because it's coming. There will be a mountain that you face that seems so big, it seems so immovable that there's no way that you will give up or you'll lose hope or you'll throw in the towel because you said there's no way this can happen. How do you have faith, like Jesus has said, that you can say to the mountain, move, and it will move? Aren't you glad you came this morning? Because all of us, if you haven't, you will have a situation or multiples in your life where you say there's no way this mountain can be moved. There's no way that my parents are gonna reconcile their marriage. There's no way that my wayward kid will come home. This is immovable. How do you just have the faith, the faith that Jesus talks about right here for mountains to be moved? Because what Peter says, the tree that you curse is withered and died, what he's implying there, how can something happen so fast in a 24-hour span that happens that quick? And how do we tap into that power? How do we do it? Well, I was reading through verse 22. As we follow through, I was reading through these verses and there's some, there's some thoughts came to my mind. 
And, and this thoughts, I'm, I'm going to take it right here from the text. These thoughts came to my mind. If you came to me and said, Pastor, help me. What are the steps that I need to take in my life? What steps do I need to take to remove this mountain that's in front of me? And you can fill in the blank. I have no idea what your mountain is. You fill in the blank. What you think is a mountain in your life, what would that be? You fill that blank in. What would I need to do? What steps do I need to take? What position do I need to get in for these mountains or this mountain to be moved in my life? And as I read through this passage, there's some things that came out to me that I just want to share with you. I want to share these things with you. So if we were sitting down with a cup of coffee, uh, white chocolate mocha, preferably, this is what I would share with you. And I know you think it's a girl's drink. I love it. You can Don't judge me. I love it. I want a venti all day, every day. And so white chocolate mocha. So if, if you want to take me out of coffee, that's what you get me. It's coming soon to Starbucks near you. And um, this is what I would tell you if you say, here's some steps you need to take if you want this mountain to begin to move in your life. You ready to get started? So let's go. All right, here we go. First thing, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Here it is. It's right from verse 22. Jesus said to his disciples, we are his disciples, his followers. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are a disciple of Christ. Look what he says. Have faith in God. So here's the first point I wanted to share with you. Faith in God. Really, <laughs> is that so profound? I mean, come on. Like, this is where it starts, though. See, this is what sometimes we miss over. We want to put faith, and I don't want you to miss this. We, we see, I want you to put faith in God. In fact, Matthew 17 talks about this too. He says, I tell you, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here or to there, and it would do it because nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with him. You have to have faith in God. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Why did you think you said that? Because this is one of the things that the enemy wants to twist in our life. You would probably say, yeah, I believe God can do that. Yeah, I believe God can do anything. Oh, God, God's all powerful. He can do whatever he wants to do. Yes, okay, I believe God can. But I don't know if he will. I don't know if he can do it for me. Do you hear that word, but? Anytime you, anytime you use that word, but, against a Bible verse, you're believing a lie. If the Bible's true, it's true. Well, God can, but. No, he can. Ain't no but to it. God can. There's no but to it. And the moment you say but out of your mouth, that's an indication that you are believing a lie. And the problem is for us is that, don't miss this, it's the object of your faith. Where are you putting your faith? So many people want to, he didn't say put your faith in your faith. And I'm going to share, I'll share that with you just in a moment. I'm going to break that down. So many times put their faith in their faith instead of in the object. Whatever you put your faith in is the object that has the power to do it. And so many people say, I will put my faith in my faith. I just got enough faith. That's the wrong place to put your faith. I'm just going to put faith in my prayer. If I just put faith in my prayer, God, you put your faith in the wrong place. I'm going to put my faith in my bosses. I'll just put my faith. You put your faith in the wrong. I'm just going to put faith in politics. Please, dear God, don't do that one. Please. Right? What are you going to put your faith in? Because what it's in, in that object, is the only thing that has the power to control it. So the first thing, and this is where we miss it, it distorts it all the time. Our faith has to be in God, not us, not ourselves, not our words, not our prayers, not our action. It's in Him. He is the object of our faith. So the first thing I would ask is, what are you putting your faith in? 
I just put my faith in my job and my career. I put my faith in myself because I'm a self-made man and I work hard to get what I have. You have your faith in the wrong place. I put my faith in my academia because, man, God's just blessed me to be really smart and good and all this stuff. And my faith is in how good I can, can study and how grades I can get. So if I do that, I get that. I put my faith in myself. Putting your faith in the wrong place. It's the object. What are you putting your faith in? And Jesus knows that. Listen to me, guys. If you're going to move mountains in your life, you got to put faith in the right place. And faith has to be in God because he's the only one who can do the impossible. You can't. So your faith has to start there. Put it in the right place. Put it in his promises. Put it in his ways. Put it in his words. Like, I'm going to put my faith in what he says. I'm not going to put my faith in my faith. I'll talk about that just in a second. I'm going to put my faith in him, the object. So the first thing it says, what are you putting your faith in? Like really where are you putting your faith in? Because this is, this, is a, this is a conviction faith. There's a difference. Even though believe and faith come from the same root word, these are two different things. This is one that I'm a confirmly, consciously persuaded believe with conviction that God in him can do this and will do this. I'm gonna put my faith in it that way. It's a conviction Here's the second thing, verse 23. He says, I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain. This is where a lot of us miss it. You can say, you mean I can speak to the mountain? That would be my second thing, speak to the mountain. Look what he says, you can say to this mountain. See, a lot of times we don't talk to the mountain in front of us. We don't speak to them. It's there. It's always in front of us, but we don't want to say nothing. It's scary. It's a beast. It's immovable. It's impossible. There is no way God's going to fix this marriage. There is no way God's going to heal me. There's no way this is going to happen. There's no way that I'm going to graduate. You feel, I'm, there's no way I'm going to get a job. There's no way I'm going to get a date. There's no way I'm going to find someone. There's no way we're going to have children. We have been trying and trying and trying to have kids for six years now. This is an impossible mountain in front of us. Some of us have been there. And fill in the blank. What is the mountain that's in front of you? Have you spoke to that mountain? Have you said something? Because he says, speak to the mountain so God can relocate it. You know, a decade ago, actually 11 years ago, when I was battling anxiety, and one of the things when you have an anxiety attack, you associate the anxiety with the placement. You know, sometimes if you went and ate a bag of Doritos and the next day you got sick and you, you know, got real sick, you go, I'm not eating Doritos no more. Why? Because you associate the sickness with Doritos. Your mind just grabs a hold of what was happening in your life. Well, when you have a panic attack, let's say at, at, at a restaurant or at Walmart, just the thought of the location begins to bring back the fear in you because you fear the feelings. You don't want that feelings. Well, for me, I had it in the pulpit. I can't avoid the pulpit. I'm a preacher, y'all. You can't just avoid it. I can't stand behind the curtain and preach to you. Behind curtain number two, Pastor Daniel's back there and he is preaching. That doesn't happen. So the anxiety of just the thought of coming up into the pulpit and, 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 and the fear that was happening, this was a major mountain for me in my life, but I cannot avoid it. You have to face that mountain every single day of your life. And you can ask my wife every Sunday, I would get up and I would preach that mountain. I would look at myself in the mirror and say, God, you called me, you anointed me to preach the gospel. I don't care if I die in the pulpit. I don't care how I feel. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to preach. And if I go out scared, I'll go out scared. And I preached to that mountain and I said to that mountain, and it took a year for that mountain to move, but I kept preaching at it. 
And I kept saying, yes, I can, because God, I'm putting my faith in you. Even though I don't see you or sense you or feel you, I don't even know where you are in my life. I don't have any that, but I'm going to stand up and preach. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep worshiping. I'm going to keep giving. I'm going to keep serving. And if I have to stand up here and shake and tremble, I will do it because you've called me to do it. And I would preach over and over and over to that mountain in my life. I am not going to quit. I am not going to let this immovable situation stop me. You just got to keep going at it. And you got to keep preaching. And you got to keep believing. And you got to trust. And you got to have faith in God, not in my ability, not in my strength, not in my words, but in Him. Because He is the only one who sustained me. Folks, listen, this, I'm, t- I'm practicing what I preach. This is, this is me. This is what I say. So well, that's kind of weird to talk to your mountain. Speak to it, tell it, quote God's word to it. God, you said, Jesus did this. The devil came to us and said, look at all these stones. Turn, turn it into bread. I know you're hungry. And what is, he speaks back. He says, don't tempt the Lord your God. The scripture says, I'm going to speak God's word to the mountain in my life. Do you see this? You know what the problem is? Most of us don't know God's word to speak it back to the mountain. Because we won't spend time in God's word. Do you know the benefits of memorizing scripture is to have it stored in your heart so that you shall not sin against God? Having it stored in your mind so that when that mountain pops up, you can speak truth to the mountain. And most of us don't know the truth because we won't get in God's word and we won't read it and apply it in our life. And we wonder why we stand back and go, that mountain's just too possible for God. There's no way. Woe is me. God did it for her, but he won't do it for me. God did it for them, but he won't do it for me. God will do it for you. Is your faith in the right place, in the right object, in God? Are you speaking to that mountain? Here's the third thing. Ask for God to move it. Have you ever just done that? Ask God to move it. God, I need you to, God, would you just help? Have you asked God? Look what he says in verse 24. I tell you, you can pray. Some of your translations will say pray and ask for anything. Anything. You can pray and ask for anything. And if you believe it, you've received it. It will be yours. First John 5 says, ask for anything according to his will. Now, this, my friends, though, has caused some confusion and doctrine and theology when it comes to the name it, claim it movement or the word of faith movement. You speak it. You force the faith. You have more power by your spoken word. And if you name it, you can claim it. So if that is true, let's all right now Believe and claim that God will put cheddars right beside the Moorhead campus facility. Come on. Come on. Starbucks came. Time for cheddars, y'all. Cheddars right here. I'm going I'm to put a sign out and just claim it. You know what I'm saying? Like, who put that sign? It's handwritten. <laughs> Sprayed it on there. You know, right? Right? So what's happened is you've got this name it, claim it, move it. So what happens if what you claim and name does not come to pass, then they turn it back on you and say, you didn't have enough faith. You didn't believe. And it was a lack of your belief you did not receive. And it's caused this confusion and this theology that if you claim it or name it and claim it, it's yours. So I'm going to claim right now and believe that $10,000 is going to buy divine transfers end up in my checking account. What didn't happen? Well, you're just a weak believer and you didn't have enough faith. Well, that's, does that not make sense? But out of that moment, pray for anything. But what they miss is the one little word when it says, according to 
your will. See, let's jump in this real quick, doctrinally. When you read through the scriptures, you see there's conditional promises and there's unconditional promises. God will say, if you, if is a condition, I will. God says that, if you, I will. That's a condition. There's also unconditional promises. When you put your faith and trust in me, I seal you, I secure you, and I guarantee you heaven. You may go wayward. I will convict you. I will do things in your life, but I sealed you. That is a condi- that's unconditional. There's nothing you can ever do to separate me from your love, my love for you. No matter how far you run, I'm coming after you. No matter how much you sin, my grace covers you. And where sin abounds, grace abounds more. That is an unconditional promise that God blesses his children. It's unconditional. That's why you sit around going, I don't deserve it. That's called grace. It's unconditional. But there's a lot of things that God says, if you, I will. If you obey my word and don't let depart from it, Joshua chapter one, and meditate on it day and night, watch what he says. You will be successful in everything you do. You see the condition? If you, I will. We see this. If you tithe, he says it. This ain't Pastor Daniel. This ain't Prayer Life Church. I will bless. I will open up the story. That's not me. That's on God. That's his condition. If you, I will. You see the Bible's will. So when it comes to God's will, there is an unconditional will of God that no matter, listen, no matter how much you pray, no how hard you pray, you will not change it. God has set that in motion. He is outside of time. And what God's will is, there's no man, no woman, no devil can ever change it. I don't care how hard you pray. I don't care how much faith you have. If it's not God's will, it will not happen. It is the sovereign will of God. But what about the things that we see that's conditional? Like, can I pray and, 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 and God, based on that condition, would do something? Is there something that I could do? Folks, listen, I've laid my hands on people that are sick on their deathbed and pray, and I've seen God heal them right immediately. It's unbelievable. I've seen people on their deathbed about to die, and I've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and they died the next day. Is that saying I had a lack of faith? You see, if I'm putting my faith in my faith, that it can happen. I can't heal anyone, folks. Nobody can heal anyone. Only Jesus can. I, can, I do not have the power to heal anyone. Jesus has the power. If I put my faith in myself that I have this to do this and it doesn't happen, then what? Why does I have no faith? No, my faith is misplaced. It has to be in the right object. Only God has the power to heal. Only God has the power to do that. So I would, if I pray and it doesn't answer the way I pray, it, I, if it was God's will, there's nothing I can do about that. Do you see what I'm saying? So we created this movement of this claim it or name it, claim it, or, or, or this word of faith that by speaking it's going to happen. But if it is not God's will, I don't care how much you speak it. It will not come to pass. We see this with the persistent widow, though. There's a story about the widow. She goes and she keeps knocking, 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 and finally says, okay, come in based on your vow. I'm going to do it. And he did it. God, Jesus prayed in the garden, if it be your will, please let this cup pass for me. If there's any other way to redeem mankind, please let it happen. And the heavens were silence. God didn't answer his own son's prayer the way his son asked, but he submitted and said, but your will be done. Do you see that? And we go, God, just don't answer my prayer. God always answers prayer. It's either yes, no, or wait. He always answers prayer. Yes, I will. No, I won't. No, wait. 
And sometimes, and a lot of times, God don't answer it in the time or the manner or the way that we think he should do it. Why? Because we don't see the big picture. We don't understand the full completion of his will. But you can't just put your faith in your faith. Your faith has been the object of the one who could do it. Listen, I'll share this story because there may be several of you who struggle with this. My wife, she struggled with doubting her salvation for 30 years of her life. And after she realized that the lies that she was believing that's holding her captain, yes, she was already saved when she was five years old at a camp. But from that moment, the enemy began to lie to her. And the problem is, you can hear she was putting her faith in her faith. I don't know if I had enough faith. What if I didn't have enough faith? Did I say the right thing? Did I pray the right prayer? Did I say the right thing? Did I pray the right prayer? And my faith was in my faith. And what she realized that my faith was already in the object and I was already saved the whole time, but the enemy had deceived and placed this lie that you have you said the right thing as you're putting your faith in your words or you're putting your faith in your faith. But her faith was in the only one that can save her. And finally, when God exposes the lie and revealed the truth for it, set her free. And so many people do the same. They put the faith that I have enough faith that I say the right thing. Am I being a good Christian? And if I'm not being good enough, I'm putting my faith in my works. It's not your works that save you. It's the great work on the cross that saves you. You see what I'm saying? How the enemy can come and take little things and begins to twist it subtly. Well, you just don't have enough faith or you putting your faith in yourself or do you have faith? Do you have enough? And I know I'm repeating myself, but I want you to drive that home because that's what, the, that's what keeps you from moving mountains in your life is that misplaced in the wrong place. So what do you do? What if, what if we treat everything like if it was a condition, right? I don't know if God's gonna heal your grandma or not. Well, let's pray if it's a condition, if it depends on us. So we're gonna believe by faith. We're gonna speak to that mountain, right? I mean, we could go, we're gonna speak to that mountain. We're gonna ask and pray. We're gonna believe it and we're gonna receive it. Why not? Because the problem is we don't know if that's God's conditional or unconditional will. We don't know if that's God's conditional or unconditional problem. We don't know that will of God. So let's just base it if it depends on us getting right before God and praying and believing and declaring that he can do it and trust that he's the one object of faith. And let's see what God's going to do with it. You see how subtle move, just a subtle difference that would be, which leads me to the fourth thing I was writing down is that you got to believe it will happen. You have to believe that it will happen. God, you will fix my marriage. God, you will break this addition. God, you will work out my debt situation. God, I will have a job when I graduate. God, you, you will. And I'm not, I'm not demanding that from God. That is getting in position. So here's the difference. Watch this. He says in verse 24, I tell you, you can pray or ask for anything. And if you believe, now what's the difference between faith and belief? See, first he says, have faith in God. Now he says, believe. They're two different Greek words, even though they got the same root. What's the difference? The first one, faith is a, it, it's a, it's a, it's a um, I don't know how to describe this in my head. It, it's, I'm standing, I'm firm, it's convicted, it's, it's, it's immovable. I just know like I know my name. Faith, but belief, it's a mental persuasion. It's the same way, but it's, it leads to action. It's a belief that leads to that. Faith is like, that's it, I've declared it, it's there. But belief is a belief that radically alters and changes my life, that it changes my actions. So what I mean, if I believe it, then I'm going to get in position. I believe I'm going to have a job when I graduate. So I'm going to start working on my resume. I'm going to start getting it. Let me break it down for you like this. If you're praying for the rain, honey, you better bring your umbrella. That's belief. You show up and you're praying. Belief is action. You know what? I'm praying that God's going to fix my marriage. Then quit treating him like a dog. If you believe it, your actions will follow it. You know, I believe God's going to get me out of this financial debt. Then you better start action tithing and get on a budget. Cut the credit card up. 
You see, a belief is an action base. It's like me sitting saying, God, I pray for an A and never study. I did that all through college. <laughs> pray for me. Right? God, I want 6% body fat. But I don't let go of the Oreos. You see, what you see, a belief is an action base. Faith, I believe it. It's in here. It's immovable. But a belief, I'm going to show you I believe that God's going to do it. I'm going to start treating my spouse this way. I'm going to start working on my finances this way. I'm going to start preparing my budget this way. I'm going to start getting my resumes prepared this way. I'm going to start getting and showing myself and sending out stuff out there. Why? Because action, belief is an action. Don't say, well, someday there's going to knock on my door and they're going to find me here and God's going to come to right? All right? Someday I'm going to get married. Dude, take a shower. Ask her out. You know what I'm saying? Action. Action. Get a J-O-B. Action. Save up for the ring. One carat platinum. Can I get a witness, ladies? Holla. Action. See, that's belief. So if you ask for anything, and watch this, not just with your feelings, but with your feet, put it to action. Believe God's going to do it. You're praying for the rain? You better pack the umbrella because it's going to rain. You see what I'm saying? That's action-based. So if you want God to move that mountain, I'm going to have faith in him. I'm going to say to the mountain what God's word says about my mountain. And then I'm going to ask him, God, would you remove that or fix that or whatever? And I'm going to believe it's going to happen that I'm already going to set it in motion. I'm going to walk it out. That is belief. And then look what he says. Get ready and receive it. Get ready. If you ask, if you pray, if you believe, you will receive. You know what I discovered? How many people don't receive or will not receive the blessings of God in their life? You won't receive it. Or you won't believe it that leads to action to receive it. So you're telling me if I just quit treating my husband like a dog that this is going... <laughs> you only have to be a Christian for that one, right? Yes. Are you telling me if I really put God first in my finances when my numbers here does not line up, it puts me in the red to actually put God first in my finances? Are you telling me based on his word, if I begin to do that belief, that faith, that action? Yes, it's condition. But will you receive it? And so many of you today at both of our locations are watching online. You're gonna let this go in one ear out the other. And you're going to believe a lie of the enemy going, well, that's good for you, Pastor Dan, but God's never going to heal me of my anxiety. Well, that's good for you, but listen, you don't know the mountain in my life. You don't know who I live with. That's good for you, but you don't know the demons in my life, in my mind, that has me stronghold to this substance. Good for you. Great sermon. Thanks for the Bible study. And what will happen is you'll walk right out of here. And the enemy will come and snatch the seed that's been planted in your heart this morning. And you'll hold your, your head down and say, but that won't happen for me. Either he can or he can. And God is not a liar. And here's the promise that we have from God. You can move mountains. But don't miss this. It's not you. It's him. But you can get in position by putting your faith in Him 
by speaking to that mountain, by asking God to do the miracle, believing it that leads to your actions, and go ahead, I receive it. I believe it and I receive it. That's some good news. But I'm gonna share with you according to this text right here. Now watch this. There are two things that I know like I know my name. And the reason why is because they're right here in front of us. There are two things that will block the mountains from being removed from your life. And these two things must be dealt with now. Because if you have a mountain in your life and you fill in that blank, and you're saying, Pastor, I'm, I'm doing, I'm, I'm right there where I, I lined it up and I'm just gonna believe it and I don't care how long it takes. But there's two conditions to this promise in this passage. The first one, he says, you must believe and not doubt. Doubt will keep the mountain from being moved. Don't miss it. It's right there in the passage. Don't doubt. Believe. Faith. I'm going to faith it. I'm going to speak it. I'm going to ask it. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to receive it. He says, doubt, but you must really believe, he says in verse 23, and have no doubt. You can choose that. God, I'm going to choose to trust you no matter how I feel, because trust is not a feeling. Trust is a choice. I trust you. I'm scared, but I trust you. I'm afraid, but I trust you. Help me see it. I believe. Help my unbelief. And God still moved, because all he needs must receive faith. Doubt. And then the second one, and honestly, I think these two, Jesus knew doubt and this next one is a big one and I preached on this two weeks ago and if you missed it you need to go back and watch this look what he says in verse 25 but when you are praying you must first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your heavenly father in heaven will forgive you of your sins too you want me to tell you what won't move mountains in your life Doubt and unforgiveness. Unbelief and unforgiveness. If there is somebody in your life who has hurt you, wronged you, walked out on you, said bad things about you, slandered you, lied about you, if you do not forgive them, do not expect that mountain to be moved in your life. And so many of you right now, you said, I know vengeance is the Lord, but I'm gonna get them too. They don't work that way. The Bible says in Romans that you must make room in your life because vision is the Lord. The Lord will take the vengeance. The Lord will put out his wrath. The person hurt you, wronged you, what I don't need to get into for your situation. And you could be completely innocent and it wasn't your fault and all that stuff and they hurt you and you're still holding on to that parent, that ex-spouse, that coworker, that friend that stabbed you in the back, the people who walked out on you what someone spoke over you and you still hold on to it, just the thought of their name just makes your blood pressure rise. If you have a mountain in your life, don't expect the mountain to remove until you forgive them. 
I did a whole message on how to do that two weeks ago. And the first thing you gotta do for this condition, I will move mountains, but you, but you, but you must not doubt or harbor grudge or unforgiveness in your life. Because if you do, that mountain will not be moved. And some of you are married couples right now. Listen, one of the reasons why your marriage will not because you're still holding on to unforgiveness and you're praying for the mountain to move, but you got unforgiveness in your heart towards your spouse. The mountain ain't going nowhere till you deal with your heart. You got to deal with it. Unforgiveness and doubt. In fact, I say it this way. Unbelief and unforgiveness can keep a mountain, but faith and forgiveness can move a mountain. And that's what I want for you in your life. I'm gonna ask if you would just for a moment to bow your head. We all have mountains. If you don't, you're about to have one. What's keeping your mountain from being removed? Have you realized today that you've not got your faith in the right place? Have you realized that you've not spoken God's word to it and believe it? Have you just not asked God because you think it's just too impossible for him? Have you not truly believed that led to action? Well, I say it, but I don't really do anything. Or have you realized that you have unbelief and unforgiveness in your heart? Those have to be dealt with first before the mountain will fall and be removed. So I need to open it back up, but who's hurt you, who's wronged you, who's disappointed you directly or even indirectly, you need to deal with it right now if you want God to move mountains in your life. And you could do that. Right now, you could choose. God, I forgive, and you fill in the blank. I'm gonna forgive. You don't have to wait till you leave. You don't have to go text anybody. You can do it right now in your heart. You could choose that. Because forgiveness is not for them, it's for you. Isn't it amazing, Joseph, in the Bible, he was sold into slavery by his brothers, fabricated a, his death to his father, sold into slavery, falsely accused of Potiphar's wife, thrown into prison, elevated to the vice president of Egypt. His brothers finally make his way back to Egypt. They don't recognize his, the little brother that they wronged and hurt. At the end of it, Joseph forgives them. You remember what he says? What you meant for evil, God used it for good. And basically he says, I'm not gonna let your mess block my miracle. Don't let somebody else's mess or problem block you from your miracle of your mountain being moved. And the, if that's you, your first step, though, is to give your life to Jesus. Because I'm here to tell you, listen to me, sir. You can't love your wife the way that she deserves to be loved apart from Jesus. You can't break that addiction on your own apart from Jesus. You can't be healed with apart from Jesus. You can try on your willpower, but you won't get far. And your first step today is you need to surrender and say, I'm going to give everything to you.
Just give it to Him. The Bible says that if you will confess, you see that speaking, if you will confess with your mouth and believe, not just a belief, I'm a Sunday Christian. I'm talking a belief in my life that leads to an action that radically changes my life, that people can see by my action that I'm a true follower of Jesus. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that God raised his son from the dead. Watch this, you'll be saved. What a great day to give your life to the Lord. What a great day to start over. And you can do that. Just cry out to him. Just in a moment, Jordan's gonna come out. He's gonna share with you a phone number you can text. It's our BLC text line. If you have any questions or prayers, we'd love for you to take. We'd love to pray for you. Text us your prayer request. We wanna help you in any way we can. Follow Jesus so that you can experience a better life. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for how applicable it is to us today. God, we all have mountains in our life that sometimes we'll get distracted and believe it's impossible, it's immovable. But God, we're reminded today that nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is immovable. God, we pray for your perfect will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we pray that we as your children will line up and be in position to faith it, speak to it, to ask it, to believe it, to receive it, to remove unbelief and unforgiveness so that we'd be in position. Because Father, the last thing we ever wanna do is realize that the promises and blessings you had for us that were conditional and we missed it because we never fill in the blank. We thank you so much for your grace that even when we fail and make mistakes, that your grace still covers us. And I just pray that, Father, you would just pour out your grace and your mercy amongst your people. Let them sense your presence. Let them know that you're near. Let them know that you're right now you're with them looking at the mountain and that we may be in fear and trembling. You're at peace. You're smiling because you are in control. So Father, we trust you. We believe. We have faith. We speak to it that you're in control. Now, God, we're in position to receive it. So pour out your favor. Pour out your blessing. God and direct us in all that we do. And we'll never fail giving you all the glory and all the praise because it's in Jesus' name we ask and pray. And everybody said,